In today's episode, we've got the amazing Imogen and Sally from the Good Morning Podcast. They are the experts when it comes to all things grief. The girls have their own book, podcast, and they're also speaking at Vivid. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. There's tons of good things to get from it. So let's get started. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Hey, Sally. How are you? Good. How are you guys? That's a very impressive background you've got there. Do you like it? Awesome. Hi. Hey, you. How are you? Hey, Sal. We're trying to get our content game. So we have got these media walls for our like social content and our video content, but it just means like every time. So we did. I think we did a podcast yesterday. So I've just kept it there. We have to like log this massive like six foot wall behind your kitchen. Like if I pull that away, will I see all your washing hanging up and all that? (laughs) You know what? You won't actually. You'll see like a, a plant and a picture of Kate Bush which it's been like I feel like we met up for a coffee didn't we Neil like nine years ago when yeah, I-, I, was at, well, I was trying to think I'm a serial like networker yes. and, and talker as well from my PR days yes, it was when you were working in you were working for the PRIA yes very very yes yeah. and I and I I was a account manager and I just moved to Oz and I was I was in my like PR networking phase so I feel like that's when we connected many moons ago yeah because I was trying to think what did we have a mutual friend or something like that as well I I can't remember but yes Laura Kelly ah yes that's right yeah Laura yeah sweetheart yeah Uh, we've done some content with her actually she's like a meditator and a yoga teacher and she has this sultry british accent it's the only way i could probably describe it very husky isn't it it's like welcome this is laura lots of spencers yeah. <laughs> brilliant i was gonna say she's a voice for radio she's actually but she's also gorgeous as well so she could do all all mediums but we Good. we did a whole series with her and everybody was obsessed with her with her voice and we actually had a lot of other brands reach out going who's that person can we work with them and everything oh, yeah 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 so she's she's amazing yeah Amazing. Yeah. Im, Laura is Jack's girlfriend, Jack, who did our, some photos. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Yes. I know Jack. <laughs> Jack's like a cool dude. Worked for GQ and always looks very trendy. Hello, Jack. If he's listening. <laughs> uh, and what about you, Imogen? We don't, well, we, do I know you? No, nothing about me. I'm, I'm a mystery. <laughs> what about me? I used to work in telly. I know nothing about PR. I think it's amazing what you guys can do in that world. Yeah, I met Sal after our mums died and we became fast besties. And I live in the Blue Mountains. Now I am from Sydney originally. I grew up on the northern beaches. Then I moved to the UK for a couple of years where I met my partner. I've got a three-year-old daughter, four-year-old daughter. Oops. Yeah, that's about me in a nutshell. (laughs) And, well, Neil and Gary. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, which one? Neil in the black, Gary in the grey. That's the one I get. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you've got an Irish man, a Scottish man, an English lady, and a Sydney lady. Aussie. Aussie. Yeah. Where in Scotland are you from, Gary? Hey, Glasgow. Oh, okay. I've never been to Glasgow, but I've heard it's amazing, like really cool city. Yeah, well, depends what you enter. Have you heard of the Glasgow smile? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And are you both Bondi-based? Do you both? No, I'm in uh, Alexandria. Oh, okay. In the West. And I'm only Bondi for... The, like the short future of- and how long have you guys been doing your pod two years two years of september is it two years it's about a break uh, just gone 
Uh, Neil was fixing up numbers. I was getting married, so we had about a four-month hiatus and just getting back. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. Congrats. Congrats. <laughs> you guys actually are our first like episode of the phase two of season two, essentially. So congrats to you. <laughs> Love Congrats all round. Yeah, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. But you guys, <laughs> you mentioned there that you met after your your mum's passed away. How, how did that happen? Just by chance, or was there like a community group or bit? Yeah, bit of both really. So there's this online support group community called Motherless Daughters Australia, and I just happened to find them. And in it was the same for him. There's a book called Motherless Daughters by Hope Edelman, who's a American author, and we both just typed it into Google. And came across this private Facebook group. And so we both joined and somebody in the group organized a meetup in Sydney. And we both went. It was only 10 of us, right? I think 10 in. And we both yeah. got there and were kind of like, this is not our vibe. Like just the women there, like just were like not sure. But we clocked, we vibed each other. And we we didn't get to chat much. But we noticed that when we were sharing our stories, we were both in our early 30s. We both lost our mum suddenly within a couple of months of each other. So Im actually stalked me on Facebook <laughs> and hit me up and said, if you want to like meet up, I understand what you're going through. And that's how we became friends. And we became friends really quickly. And then Good Morning was born a couple of months later, wasn't it, Im? It was. And I did stalk you on Facebook and plucked up the courage to reach out to you. But yeah, like Sal said, we both felt like it wasn't really our vibe. We nearly didn't go at the 11th hour. Like we nearly backed out and went, we've got friends and family that are supporting us. Do we really need to be here? But we both felt a real pull to go. And I think mm. without sounding too woo-woo, it was probably the universe needing us to meet, which was amazing. So, yeah, the rest is history. Because I think there's a lot of stigma around needing support or mm. feeling lonely or isolated and wanting to connect with new people Sometimes we can feel a bit awkward about that. So I think for us both, we really had to push through that awkwardness. And I'm really glad that we did because it's paid off. But it was definitely a challenge to like put yourself out there. Are you still on that Facebook group? Yeah, we are. Yeah. We don't really, we're not active participants because we've got our own now. <laughs> but yeah, we are still members. Yeah, nice. That's uh, good. Yeah, because when my wife had our son, they have a group for the, the mums as well, like out of the hospital and... That's probably one of been one of the most amazing things to get for her, particularly. And she like when you were describing it, it was a similar vibe. She went there, wasn't vibing with most of the moms, but there has been one or two really long-lasting relationships. And when times are hard and you know, I'm pissing her off, or you know, she's you know having a tough time, it's been such an amazing network for her to be able to tap into as well. Like, you know. And I mean, what was it like for you guys? Like, how did the podcast start? Like you said, it was relatively soon after you guys met. Like, did you just meet up for coffee, started spitballing? Or what was the thing that said, oh, maybe we should do a podcast about this? It was, sorry, go in. I was going to say, we met up for a wine to start with, and we just were so connected. Like, we just couldn't stop talking to each other. We spoke for hours about death and grief, like, so exciting great chat but for for the first time we felt really seen I'm like oh my god this chick gets it it's like a mirror's being held up she's just saying everything that's been swirling around in my head for months you know it was just really refreshing to connect with someone who truly understood what I was going through because we both felt that there was 
quite a lack of relatable resources for people our age going through grief. A lot of the resources out there didn't really speak to us and a lot of the information is quite outdated. And so it was just really refreshing speaking to someone who got it. And we would chat for hours and we really noticed how lonely we'd felt prior to meeting each other. And we sat there and we thought, I wonder how many other people are out there feeling lonely because we were pretty well supported and we still felt lonely. Like how many other people are feeling all of these things? And we bounced around a few ideas. I remember we were sitting at DY Beach. We're like, oh, what about a supper club? We can like bring people together and talk about grief. But it was peak COVID. So that was a really bad idea because no one was allowed to like really spend time with each other. And then, yeah, I think we both just like went our separate ways that day and then like called each other and were like podcast. And that was it. It was just meant to, meant to be. And it just went on from there and it just hit the ground running and was really successful quite quite quickly. And well, I think... Sorry, sorry, just on top before. Yeah. One, I just wanted to know, you said you had a lot of support, but mm. you felt lonely. Mm. What do you think that was missing from the support you were getting that made you feel lonely? Could you put your finger on it? Well, I think because as a society, we don't talk about grief. It's a taboo topic. It makes people feel awkward because it brings into light our mortality. People don't really know what to say or do. So even with the best intentions, like we had support from our friends, but because a lot of them hadn't been through a big loss and hadn't experienced like big grief, they, as much as they wanted to support us and were showing up for us and, you know, checking in, they didn't quite know what exactly we were going through. Because the thing about grief is it's really surprising and we can talk about this in more detail, but, you know, it's not just sadness. It's way more. It's incredibly physical. It's really exhausting. You can get like anxious. There's so many elements. It's not just like one big long cry. And that's what Im and I, when we met, we were like, oh my God, do you feel tired all the time? Are you like next level exhausted? Have you got brain fog? Are you anxious and feeling like really panicky all the time? And we were like, yes, oh my God. So we kind of felt seen. And if you haven't been through grief, as much as you want to show up for somebody, if you don't really understand the magnitude of the experience, then it can be really hard to level. And, you know, sometimes when we're going through a really difficult time, like we just want to be really honest about what's going on for us. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people are just awkward at hearing like the magnitude, you know, people go, Oh, how are you doing? You kind of go, Oh, do you really want to know? Like, you (laughs) know, I've been up all night sobbing. I feel so fearful. Like, you know, like I'm just like, not myself. I'm exhausted. Like I feel like I've aged 10 years. You kind of don't want to, you don't want to tell them the honest truth. So you maybe sometimes just keep it to yourself, which can be quite isolating. That makes sense. I think another factor is as well, if the people who are supporting you are also grieving, that can be really challenging because everybody copes with loss so differently. And it's really common for family dynamics to change, roles in the family to shift. People are all grieving on different like waves. So it's, yeah, it can be really difficult to get support from people who are also grieving in your circle. So I think that's another reason why we felt quite lonely and why we wanted to reach out to someone who was out of our circle to, yeah, to connect with. Yeah, it's, it's, it's similar to mental health really generally, isn't it? You know, it's a mm-hmm. taboo topic. People don't like to talk about it. And then if somebody doesn't experience it themselves, 
like when you actually think about it, somebody who has no clue what you're going through, trying to give you advice about what you're going through, like it doesn't make any sense at all. And then you've got cultural things or legacy things, depending on your background, like, you know, like in Ireland, for example, we just drink through the pain, you know, you have... <laughs> funerals were usually the biggest piss-ups in Ireland like that's mm -hmm. it, all the things you could do on the calendar a funeral was when you would drink the hardest and it would usually be seven days in the pub or in someone's house and you know when you think about it that way it's like you're also taking all that you know societal pressure or, or, or as I said legacy with you and like how you how do you draw a line in the sand how do you deal with it until you're actually in there did you guys feel that you were both in the same category of stages of grief like you mentioned you had a lot of similarities did you guys kind of help each other through that or did you feel like you were kind of in the same situation our grief was very very different which was interesting we were both experiencing the sudden loss of our mums sal's mum died from a seizure so it's called sudet which is, stands for sudden and unexpected death in epilepsy and my mum died by suicide so it was both sudden, both the same like person that we lost, but our experiences were vastly different. And I think a lot of that comes down to like maybe our personalities and the circumstances. There's a lot of factors that come into play of how people deal with things. I'll touch on how I how I experienced it firstly, and then Sal can maybe fill you in on hers. But for me, like like Sal mentioned before, there's this societal expectation that grief is just sadness, right? We just feel really sad and then we get, get over and move on with our lives. But for me, my grief looked like in the first year it was guilt, rage, like all of these really heavy emotions that society doesn't make room for or accept. There was a lot of shame. So yeah, there was like really heavy, complex emotions and also a huge amount of trauma. So I was just constantly ruminating in my mind. And I remember like when Sal and I would meet up in the early days, I would just be on a loop talking about details and bless Sal, she held that space for me. And, you know, I, there's not many people that would have sat through that. Like, I can imagine it was not very, you know, not very fun to be around, but she really held that space for me. So we were grieving really differently, but I think because we understood the pain, the level of the pain and the suffering that we were going through, we were able to really be there for each other. But yeah, we did have quite different experiences, didn't we, Sal? We did. For me, I didn't have as much anger or guilt. I had a little bit of guilt because as an expat, my mum lived in the UK. So, mm. you know, there was guilt about like not being there when she died or not being around and choosing to build my life over here. But for me, it more manifested in a lot of like anxiety and self-doubt and self-esteem being shot to pieces, really. Like I... Yeah, I I was I became really unconfident of myself. And I think grief can really impact your self-esteem because we're relational beings. And when somebody you've known all your life, like your mum, who is almost like a mirror to you, is gone, it can impact your sense of self. So for me, it kind of manifested more, I think, inwards in that sense. And yeah, and that also was really lonely. But also, you, I actually I had to fly back to the UK and sort my mum's funeral out and deal with the estate. So I found that doing practical things, I mean, I had no choice, but also I think with my personality and my life experience, actually, I that was almost like a coping mechanism for me. And I needed to do 
do the things and that helped me process and grieve whereas in we always talk about that you your sister did that element for, mm. for your family and she took charge of that stuff and for you that wasn't even like you just couldn't so I think we lean into certain kind of coping mechanisms as well so for him it was very much like feeling her feelings and talking about it and having to talk about it to process for me I did talk about things obviously starting a podcast but I also yeah did things I was very practical you know I basically PR'd my mum's funeral and all of her estate and stuff and I found that really helped but what's interesting Neil is I heard you mention the stages of grief just then and that is a huge misconception when it comes to grief isn't it it is it's one of our favorite topics to educate people on so basically when you when you go into grief pretty much all people are googling things like am I ever going to feel normal again what's happening to me you just want to know what grief is and what's going on for you because it's not something that we are taught about it's not something that we are prepared for because society doesn't talk about it and Chances are that if you do Google grief, you are taken straight to the five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So what's happened is grievers are looking at these stages as a bit of like a timeline, a linear timeline going, okay, I'm at anger. Cool. I've done that. Then I'm going to go on to, you know, depression and tick that off the box. And then one day I'm going to get to acceptance and then be moved on with my grief, you know, get back to normal or get back to my old self. But Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Grief is very complex. And what's really interesting is the woman who created that grief model, her name is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She's a Swiss-American psychiatrist, and she wrote those stages in her book on death and dying in 1969. And those stages were never actually intended for people who were grieving. They were observed in her patients who were at the end of their life, so terminally ill patients. So they've come a bit like turned into a bit of a benchmark for like grievers. They've been misinterpreted over the years, but it's a huge misconception. So the five stages of grief were never actually meant for the bereaved, which is quite amazing considering we're all looking to them still to, you know, find out what's going on for us and if we'll ever feel okay again. And it's quite mental, really, to think that in terms of mental health, yeah, it's mental, like in terms of mental health, right, things have evolved so much. But yet when it comes to grief, people are still referring to and relying on a model that A, wasn't meant for people grieving, and B, is from like the 1960s. Like there's no way that there are other, you know, mental health theories that people are using from that time, right? It's just grief hasn't really like it hasn't evolved in society's mind in a sense of how Mm. we cope with it people are still using that as the benchmark and people like feel like they've got to almost like beat the grief or like you know I've got to complete this I've got to finish it like but actually you don't have to so it's really interesting in contrast to that then where here's a million dollar question then what is the the format of grief or is there a format like we've spoken about the pathways around mental health which we feel are like non-existent for people like you know when something is going on you don't know what you should really do first when it comes to grief we know what all your experience and obviously your lived experience what does that look like then is there a roadmap or there's no roadmap is that the kind of answer or Unfortunately, there is no roadmap, but it's not as daunting as it sounds. Grief is something that's incredibly individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to look different, feel different for everybody. But the one thing that is 
common and that will happen for everyone is grief will be with you for the rest of your life. But something that was really beautiful that was shared with us from Joanne Cacciatore, who's the author of Bearing the Unbearable, and she said that she has clients that come to her and they say, like, grief is an asshole. Like, I just don't want to feel this anymore. Like, I just want this grief to go away. And she explains that, like, grief isn't the asshole. Death is the asshole. Grief is something that keeps us connected to the person who's died because that's another misconception that society put onto us is that uh, we have to forget the people who have died in order to move on. And if we're still thinking about them or talking about them, then we're not healing and it's not healthy. But that's just so wrong. And what's actually really healthy and healing is understanding that you can still have a connection with the person who's no longer here. Like Sal and I feel super connected to our mum still. You know, we include them in our everyday. We honour them. We have legacies. You know, we create legacies. Like I think that's really important for people to understand is death doesn't end the relationship. Mm-hmm. And once we found that out, that was really comforting for us. But, yeah, so eventually over time your grief will not feel as painful you know, and it's and it's important to allow yourself to feel whatever is coming up for you. You know, for me in that first year, the anger and the guilt, like that all had a place and I had to feel it and I had to go through it and process it. And some days I still do have that as well. Like it goes back into it's not linear. Grief will change over time and your relationship with a relationship with it will change over time. But it's important not to judge yourself as well. However, you're grieving. It looks different on everybody. Yeah. And I think the to add to that, there's no roadmap, there's no framework for grief, but there are lots of things that you can do to help yourself along the journey. A big one is connecting with other people. Maybe it's people who are grieving, whether that's through like online communities, support groups, people that you know, but having connection is so, so important to feel less alone. Therapy has helped us both massively. Talk therapy, and also we both do a lot of things in terms of the mind body connection so breath work energy energy healing i've been getting into ice baths recently things that kind of help yeah help us in terms of the body as well journaling is really helpful with grief it's a really good way to process the emotions and process the thoughts and what's going on for you and if you're grieving somebody that you love it's a good way to communicate with them and and you know talk to them process the things that maybe were left unsaid um so there's loads of things that you can do to help yourself and like im said it's different for everyone but you can you can find what works as you kind of take your map sorry my dog's barking That's all right. yeah it's like i mean i don't know if you agree imogen but by you guys explaining this situation with grief, it does feel similar to mental health, or at least there's similarities with some of the issues that we think mental health faces as well. There's no silver bullet. It's a bit, you know, like of a, a mind map in terms of your moving through it. And then we also the same thing about the, you'll never move on from whatever it is you've got, mental health, whether it's anxiety or things like you're likely going to have these for the majority of your life, but they're not necessarily a bad thing, you know, like anxiety is or even like panic attacks it's telling you that there's maybe something not quite right you know and you need to kind of delve into yourself a bit more so would you would you see mental health and grief have that connection or is there similar things and how it plays out 
Absolutely. And mental health is a topic that we're both super passionate about too. And so I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder when I was about 17 years old. So I've been struggling with anxiety for years, panic attacks, derealization, all the things. And um, when my mum died, that spiraled me into even more mental health issues. And I even experienced depression as well. So I had a whole lot going on for me, but I now feel like I really understand what is happening to me and why I'm anxious, where where my anxiety is stemming from, what are the things that I need to do to help it. And it's been a really interesting learning, hasn't it, Sal? Like we've we've spoken to some world-leading experts. We recently spoke to a guy called Joshua Fletcher, who is Anxiety Josh on Instagram. And the way he explains what anxiety is and what is actually happening to you was so helpful for me. And it may be for your listeners as well that are experiencing anxiety because it's a huge mental health issue. And basically anxiety is a feeling that you get when you are in fear. So basically the amygdala is the fear center of the brain and it can trick you into thinking that you're in danger. So for instance, my first panic attack, I was just at the shopping center, I was walking around and then suddenly I just felt like really disconnected from my surroundings. I felt like I wasn't present. The people around me felt really weird and just I just felt really disconnected. And then I went home, I had a shower, then got in the car to drive to the city. And as I was driving over the Anzac, the Harbour Bridge, I had a full-blown panic attack, but I didn't know I was having a panic attack. So of course I thought I'm dying. This is it. (laughs) And my vision started going and I pulled over and weirdly there was an ambulance right there and I just ran to it, jumped in it. I was like, I'm dying. And they're like, no, I think you're hyperventilating. Like, it's okay. Calm down. And then the, the doctor told me I was experiencing anxiety, but I couldn't quite comprehend that. I'm like, I'm not an anxious person. Like, I don't really think like I've not really had this before. And it was really difficult to believe that that's what it was. And then from that point on, I was so afraid of feeling that fear again, that I started putting all of these like safety behaviors into place. Like I was like scared about driving the car and going to the shopping center and all of these things that were going to make me feel that way again. And so I've just, it's just turned into this big catastrophic anxiety disorder over the years. But what was really interesting is Josh just explains it so well. It's like, it's just your fear center tricking you. Like in, in the caveman days, it's great, right? Because our amygdala goes off and say, like, oh, okay, there's danger. I'm going to run away from this lion. But nowadays we don't really have those sorts of dangers. So we could just be doing really mundane things like doing the shopping, the grocery shopping or in a meeting at work and this fear center goes off and you feel really afraid and out of your body, but you don't know what's happening to you. So you freak out and then it just, yeah, it can really change your life. So mental health is something I have struggled with for a long time, but I think understanding physically what's happening to your body in that and knowing that it's actually not dangerous has been super helpful for me. So I feel like I've just ranted on about my anxiety disorder now, but yeah, I just found the information really helpful. That was good. A lot of what you said has come up in previous episodes as well. The saber two tiger analogy and also bridges, which I've had panic attacks on bridges as well. So we have that in common. Yes. Brooklyn Bridge was my one in New York going back about six or seven years ago. And yeah, I just couldn't, I had to get off the bridge as quickly as possible. (laughs) Yeah. And, and did that ever morph into like a bit of driving anxiety for you? Did you ever feel weird when you were driving? 
my mom had that. My mom used to pull over the car sometimes when we were younger, and I couldn't understand. She was like, oh, I just have my thing, you know, that, that was what it was like labeled as. And then yeah, having it all until I was in my like late 30s, and an incident in my corporate life triggered it like a kind yeah. of thing episode. And then it just kind of spiraled, and then it became like meetings. If I was in a meeting with a lot of mm. people, and then it came presentations, and then it was then it was bridges. But then, like what you're saying, unfortunately, if you actually avoid doing those, it actually has a, a counter effect. You know, you, like you have to kind of lean into it a bit more rather than try and shield yourself because it doesn't do you any, any, any good. But it's not to say my, my thing now is bridges have become okay. A little like the, <laughs> sometimes when I'm driving over, like you know. Black Bridge or something like that, you'll get a little of it. And then it's like, as you were saying, when the, when you go exploring your own journey a bit more, mm. literally the awareness becomes overwhelming, which I found has gone back like years for me. And you like, oh, fuck, there's like more stuff I'm worried about now. But then the more you go down that path, the more then it, you get, you have choice and control. So you can recognize that, yeah, your amygdala is kind of playing tricking you. And you can actually do things in the moment to get you through that phase. So that's been the kind of like the better end of where I'm at personally, let's say that kind of stuff where I know everything's okay. This is just what's going on. You can do some breath work or there's some really great things that we've spoken on other episodes, like very tangible things you can do in the moment that can help you, you know, breathe in for five seconds, hold for five seconds, exhale for five seconds. Do that yeah. times, it usually can get you out of a really sticky situation. Yeah. And, and just, to, just to go back onto your point about grief and mental health so this is Peggy Peggy. barking so I've had to bring her in hi Pegs but grief and mental health are so intertwined and especially like grief can really mirror the symptoms of depression especially in early days and something we hear from a lot of our community is like I feel like I'm depressed but grief can feel very much like depression and for me, I I got re- like really anxious and depressed, like my third year of my loss. So it can kind of come in different waves for people. Anxiety and grief in particular, because something has happened like a sudden loss and you're you're thinking a lot of fearful thoughts around that, especially if, you know, you know, the fragility of life and you've experienced trauma or, you know, something that's that's very real and scary for you now because you know that it can happen, then that's going to impact you physically as well because anxiety is something that can be felt in the body. So that's why a lot of people experience anxiety when they're grieving as well because if your, you know, if your reality has changed and things don't feel safe anymore and things feel scary or you just feel unstable in your, you know, your safety of and your view of the world, then fearful thoughts can then bring on the feelings of anxiety too and so the two can be quite interlinked but when it comes to grief and mental health they're they're just so intertwined like it's just and that's why we do what we do because it's like so important to talk about grief in the context of mental health because they are so interlinked well grief is good right like it's a good thing really yeah I mean you grieve because you love right like so it's a process you've got it you've got to go through but like im said earlier over time it gets easier it's you know yes we grieve forever but it not in a scary way it's <laughs> just integrates and becomes part of you 
But that's just intense. The same with mental health. I had a psychologist who told me, like, you're always going to have this. And I, I remember the first time hearing that, I was like, fuck, I'm never going to get rid of this thing. Hmm. Depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. But when you get more educated about it, you, yeah, it can actually be, it's not, well, it can be a good thing, you know, but you just, you, you learn how to control it or to, to live with it and to take the positive out of it. So, yeah, if anyone thinks they'll ever be over this, you probably won't, but that's also not necessarily a bad thing. Do you see exactly. across a lot of people or even some people who have struggled to grieve? What was that? Sorry. Oh my God, your accent's amazing. <laughs> sorry. That's all right. Story of my life. Uh, have you met a lot of people through your listeners or people you've come across through your journey who struggle to grieve? Definitely. Yeah. We definitely have. I think a lot of people try to suppress it yeah. and not face it and can be quite afraid to go there because they don't know what that's going to look like. They think they're never going to stop crying for the rest of their life if they, you know, let those emotions in. I think it's really common. Like it's really common for people to try to avoid it, suppress it, beat it. But like we've talked about, grief isn't going anywhere. It's a very patient thing. It will wait and it will get you off guard. It will catch you, you know, when you're at the supermarket or dropping your kid off at school, and then all of a sudden you'll have what we call a grief bomb, which we've kind of changed the terminology of like the waves of grief because it just sounds a bit too, I don't know, a bit too gentle, but it's actually like it explodes and you can't hold it in. And so, yeah, that will eventually happen if you do try to avoid grief, but I think it is really common. Neil, you were pointing then at yourself, like, are you a, a grief avoider? <laughs> not not intentionally, no, but like, look, I'm probably the closest person I've lost was my granddad back in Ireland. And he was like the first of my closest relatives. And we lived in the same estate. He was into football, like football's in our family. Like I used to put his hair. I used to spend weekends going to watch football games with him, my granny and my dad's when all my mates were out, you know, getting in trouble and stuff like that. So I had a very special relationship with him and my granny, both equally. But he died when I was in America on a J-1 visa in 2005. And I'll never forget when my dad picked me up from the airport after the whole summer. And as I got in the car, my dad told me the news. And I was devastated because he, he passed away almost while I was in transit coming back to Ireland. So I had that guilt that you mentioned later on about it. God, if I had to come back a day earlier, I could have seen him one more time. Mm. He went out by heart attack, which was a nice way to go. But when I went to the funeral, you know, and I was one of my granny and grand had like 30 odd grandchildren. And, you know, I dare say I was a favorite, but I, <laughs> I was definitely like spent most of the most time with them and I couldn't grieve. And when I was in the church, I wanted to cry, couldn't cry, couldn't cry for weeks. And, you know, I think that's linked to my own personal story of I have a high likability factor and I always try to push things aside. And that was my coping mechanism. And then it played out when it, when when you're actually trying to grieve because I'd suppressed my emotions for so long that when you try and actually turn them on, you can't because you've been training your, yourself to not be able to do it. And then it was like, it was like months later, I was just out one time and I think someone just said some throwaway comments like, I can't even remember what it was, but it was insignificant really, but it just hit me with a grief bomb and I just went into floods of tears. And I think think I was at a bar or something, I had to go sit on the curb. I was just crying for hours and it all came out 
so yeah like it has been a struggle for me to do that and i realize now that that's not a good thing either you know you need to experience those emotions there we have them for a reason and i'm trying to kind of unlearn myself to be able to be ready for when that is kind of needed but yeah like i i think when you suppress it it has such a negative thing because you carry that around from with you physically mentally emotionally all your life you know so yeah do you have any any tips on <laughs> someone like me who maybe struggles to grieve definitely we we have a term that we coined called having a grief sesh so sometimes when you know that you know you can feel something's bubbling under the surface but it might be hard to like the emotions might not be readily forthcoming right have a sesh have a grief sesh get definitely not your usual sunday sesh but <laughs> definitely probably more productive so get the get the sentimental items out get the photos the cards the things that remind you of them maybe it's like hang on so we're, we're getting a so it's a smoke, it's a smoke alarm. It's a grief bomb. <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought you were like, hang on a minute, we've got some sentimental items over here. Yeah. Let me just grab them. Let's have one now. Oh. A live one. <laughs> the funeral songs. But yeah, yeah, putting like the music on that reminds you of them, like just almost sitting in the grief and the emotions and letting it arise. It like like evoking it drawing it out right sometimes like I've had grief sessions where I've been like I feel irritable I'm snapping at my husband I know there's stuff going on underneath it's like emotions that need to come out and I've just sat there and like willed it out basically and in the early days sometimes they just happen and you're like oh my god okay I need to have like you know the emotions come out and you need you just need to kind of process but sometimes when it's difficult it's good to like actively draw it out that's what I was going to ask in terms of when you were initially dealing with the grief and going through things that initially happened, how did it affect other relationships in your life? You mentioned like maybe snapped your husband or whatever, but did you find yourself maybe other relationships in your life, your friends, family, even work being impacted? For me, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of my relationships were impacted negatively, fortunately, but I think you sometimes you do change what you need from a relationship in terms of friendships can change so I think I invited some different friends into my life like him and what I needed changed so you kind of maybe outgrow people you might shift in terms of your priorities but definitely with my husband like I had to remember that he didn't get it because I would get sometimes quite frustrated and I remember like when my mum died and he flew to the UK for the funeral and he was like I'm really struggling and I was like you're fucking struggling and then I was like hang on a minute he's got you know his feelings are valid he is allowed to be struggling but you know I was kind of like what so I had to had to work on that but yeah it hasn't it didn't it didn't luckily it didn't impact too many of my relationships well that's good I was just curious because I can't as in, I'm, I've been pretty fortunate I haven't lost anyone I've lost some grandparents but they were at a time I'd accepted the late 80s sort of thing so I'd mm. accepted it but it's just interesting to hear how how it would if I'm, I mean inevitably it's going to happen at some point mm. with my parents etc so it's just interesting to hear how Jones mad though when I left to come to Australia my granny survived seven years but she, when I went to leave to go to Australia I stopped off in her house before I went to the airport and to say goodbye and we both knew like this was right. probably it like and I I did cry in that moment and mm-hmm. I was just hugged and embraced and I was kind of at rest then, kind of, you know, I was kind of like, you know, that's okay now. She And then she died that year. 
Mm. Um, yeah. How, how old were you, Neil, when your granddad died? I was 21, just about turning 21. Yeah. When did your mental health stuff kick in? Oh, fuck are you. I feel like it's like a loud question there. Yeah. Oh, look, I knew about my depression when I was young. I was like 13. Like my mom, yeah. my mom's alcoholic and I've seen some stuff at a very young age. And that's where I started suppressing all myself. And I was feeling yeah. dark. Not, well, was for a reason. But the anxiety only came yeah probably post that age and panic attacks more like, fast forward another 10 years after that mm. where signs definitely though know, now that i look back over the years and i started around that age actually geez now that i think about it i started to do recreational drugs ecstasy was my poison of choice and then there was a good bit of two years where i did that quite heavily mm. while still functioning and playing soccer at a high level yeah yeah and then i left to go to australia when i was 20 26 because just as you were explaining how you dealt with things and how you, you know, you normally suppress your emotions and something that we have learned as well is when people do experience like panic attacks and anxiety disorders and things like that, a lot of the time it can be like unresolved traumas because something that was really interesting learning, I don't know if you've heard of The Body Keeps the Score. You heard of that book? It's by yeah. Bessel van der Kolk, and it talks all about how when we experience trauma as a child, that, stra- that trauma stays stored in the cells of our body. Mm-hmm. And unless we're doing things to resolve those traumas, release them, work through them, which we don't often do because we don't really necessarily always identify that they are traumas, especially if we're young when we experience these things, we carry them with us into our adulthood. And then when all of these other life stresses and things start coming on, it's just starts compounding and it sounds a lot to me like your anxiety disorder has been triggered by these unresolved traumas that you've perhaps been not processing and carrying around so I know for me it was very similar like a lot of childhood things that were happening and then I did a lot of recreational drugs as a result I kind of went off the rails a bit and then that triggered my like my anxiety disorder and it was like now I'm getting to the point where I realized that I never actually processed any of those things and my body my nervous system was just shot to shit and I was just trying to like cope but yeah I thought that might be a bit yeah no I think that's that's very true and then when I had that like bullying incident I was in my you know mid-30s and then that triggered previous bullying when I was like an eight-year-old child but 30 years later, like they almost like bit me in the ass. And then it was really mm. unravel. And then I had to go further down the exploration route to come out kind of the other end. But those things only like came, like the panic attacks only came after that. So that's mm. one thing to say to people who are listening, not to scare people, but like if you don't resolve your trauma, it can literally like I might have never had that bullying incident work and I it might have never flared up and the panic attacks might not have come. But the scenario can happen to you at any point in your life, which can trigger something that you haven't resolved. So mm. yeah, you really do need to tackle it because it can it can literally bite you in the ass anytime, you know? Totally. And I think grief also can, you know, when a death is traumatic and grief, when you are experiencing grief, sometimes it makes you peel back the layers. It definitely has for me, and I know it has for him, and you kind of start looking at other things that are underneath the surface. And And talking of panic attacks, Anxiety Josh, who Im mentioned earlier, has a really good analogy that he shared with us. And that is 
some people you have a stress jug right and depending on your genetics and your parents some people might have a really big stress jug and it means that they can withhold more stress in their lives some people might have a smaller one like him and I say that ours is a thimble and that's fine (laughs) but stresses and things that happen in your life right it fills the jug up and grief is a really big part of that grief might take up quite a bit of the jug and if you don't empty the jug if you're not doing the things to empty the jug and it might not ever be completely empty but if you're not emptying it then what can happen is it fills up and then one thing can just make it overflow so like in your instance that maybe it was the bullying at work for some people it might be grief it might be anything but for Josh it was like just a really random thing and then he had a panic attack and then you know things can really spiral and I thought that was a really helpful analogy to think about stresses and traumas and how we kind of store things that can really impact then things like anxiety and grief is a massive it's a massive part of the old stress jug yeah, we've heard of the window of tolerance, which is probably the same thing. Everyone has a window of tolerance. And if your window mm. of tolerance is, is wide, then, you know, you can, you mentioned ice baths, which is great for mental health because it actually trains your nervous system to cope with fire flight mode, your parasympathetic and sympathetic. So the more you do that, the more you train your, your brain and your body and your nervous system, you can cope with the incidents because mm-hmm. I think you were saying earlier on nowadays, it can just be an email that can trigger you. Not at yeah. all. No, that's how um, mental it is. And, it was only really, I, I want to ask questions about the body response and where it's stored, because only when I was on that ABC documentary last year, Space 22, did I learn the somatic element of all this, which mm-hmm. is the bodily function. So we think it's, well, often it can come through your, your amygdala, your, your, your brain, your prefrontal cortex going on about something. But if you actually bring your body into the equation, you can actually resolve what's going on with you kind of mentally. And when it comes to grief, like, is there... Do we hold grief physically in certain areas? Does it vary per person? Like, have you guys got any experience about how you can release someone out from a somatic response? Totally. It can, it's different for everyone, isn't it, Im? It can store, like, people can feel it in different places. Like, you know, for me, I feel it very much in my throat, my chest. That's kind of where it kind of presents itself. Im is more kind of stomach and, you know, solar plexus. But what's really helped him and I is learning about the mind body connection and doing things like breath work to release stress, to release trauma. Cause like him said, it does get stored in your cells. So breathing, like you are releasing that you're moving that energy through your body, ice baths as well, like, you know, coping with resilience and, and tr- like you said, Neil training your body to know that it can withstand stress. That can be really helpful. And Im, I know you've got some good tools as well. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kundalini activation. Have you heard of that before? That's a form of yoga, isn't it? Or, or and with breath work, isn't it? Well, technically, yeah, it is Kundalini yoga. But we connected with a trauma-informed healing, energy healing woman. She's incredible. Her name's Rebecca Jack. She's been on our podcast before, and we've done a five-week intensive breath work course with her. But she has started doing what's called Kundalini activation. And to be honest, this has been the best thing for me personally in terms of like my trauma that I hadn't resolved after my mum died. Because, you know, a lot of people listening be like, how are you supposed to resolve traumas? What if I don't even know that I've got these traumas? But the the amazing thing about energy work is you don't have to 
consciously come up with what all the traumas were that you went through, your body will know because your body does keep the score. Your body is is very clever and intelligent. And so with this energy work with Kundalini, you basically, you just lie there and you have someone who is an activator. So someone who can do this work for you to activate your Kundalini energy. So everyone has this energy that lays dormant in the base of their spine, in their base chakra. And it's, it's quite wild. Like it's not for everyone. Just going to say that, but it has absolutely helped me with my yeah anxiety disorders and the trauma. And it's, yeah, it's just this, this energy healing. You can feel the energy moving through your body and your body is healing itself because the body is actually incredible. Like it can heal itself, but we don't, we don't do the things to, to let it happen. Imagine you hold, like you're holding on to that subconsciously. Yeah. All life, wherever that may be, it might be multiple things. Like that can't be good for you. You know, if you're not releasing it, like things in your back your shoulder grief issue like that just can't be good but even even in the simplest possible format people a lot of people just clench in their sleep just like that yeah I'm like not just sleeping your jaw clenched probably and that's probably the most common one i hear but just very straightforward things even post-session if i'm doing breath work so if you finish a hard training session i recommend everyone do this if you if you train a lot at the gym or you do sports as soon as you finish a session a lot of people finish a session grab a towel shower up the road but if you spend three to five minutes just going back into the parasympathetic nervous system by usually I like to do it with feet elevated on like a 90 degree angle, lie back and just do box breathing or long exhales longer than your inhale mm. for three to five minutes. And that immediately starts the recovery system and gets rid of that stress because you can, what can often happen, I know people who go to the gym at lunch break, go straight back into the work environment, super stressful environment. So that stress they may be taking from the morning of work or whatever it is, in the gym session, which at the end of the day is physical stress as well. That's just what our body sees as stress. And then you don't recover from it. And I don't mean recovery as in good night's sleep, good food, etc. I mean, and just that period like we're talking about, the energy, the nervous system, going into a work stress environment, and you come home to, from work, probably exhausted. Then you're going to your bed. Maybe you've got those underlying things we're talking about. You're trying to get a good night's sleep. You're cleansing your jaw, yeah. you're woke up, you wake up tired, less recovered, and it's just this constant Fire. snowball effect yeah, yeah. of all this stuff going on and never just taking a moment. And that's such a simple thing. That's three to five minutes post session. Nah, I'll just, I'll just go. It's like but that. That, but that reminds me of Saturday when your husband go and uh, you're going to clean up the dishes all day. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting though. Thank you for sharing that because like, I think we do just go from one thing to the next, don't we? Like loads of us are like busy. Oh, rush from the gym to work, rush home. You know what I mean? Like we don't reset. So I'm I'm going to do that. I'm going to deal home tonight and relax tonight. And it's like 14 hours of not relaxing. And then just to get maybe an hour of Netflix, that's your relax. And it's like, that's not relaxed, man. That's... And it's good to think about the nervous systems too, because a lot of people may not realize that there's the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And like, I've only recently realized I function in the sympathetic nervous system. Like that's where I live most of the time, which is your fight or flight, right? And then the parasympathetic nervous system is your rest and digest. And we don't do things to like, especially if we're just so used to functioning in the sympathetic nervous system so much, it's hard to switch over, And so you've got to actively do those things. So I think like after a workout where you are, you know, quite high energy is like doing things to, to ground you again back into, yeah, that karma rest and digest state. I think it's so helpful. I would recommend for, for, I think that there's a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Have I heard of it? 
No. But, I mean, that was why Zephyrus <laughs> don't get ulcers. Written by Neil. Yeah, the, the authors wrote it really, really well. It's quite easy to read. But it's one of those books, go through it a couple of times. And if you learn it properly, you'd probably be in the top 5% of people in the world who know about that sort of stuff. It's so oh, I'm excited. Definitely That's so exciting. I've just, just looked it up on my... Do you guys, have you guys heard of Blinkist? Uh, no. Uh, it's like any book, you get 10 minutes. I'll just... You can do audio or read it, oh. and it'll just sort of go a lot. You can say another ten minutes. Blinkist. I only learned about Chat GPT. <laughs> oh, that's a game changer too. <laughs> People are like, "How do you not know with you, old bastard?" <laughs> I guess it's good to get somebody, and you go, "Do you know what? I'm going to buy that." Because sometimes I, I go on Blinkist for a book I've read previously, and I think ah, it was good, but it didn't really give me the points that I got from the book. Mm. But then sometimes I read a book, and I thought I could have wrote that in the back of an ant's ass. That was like nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for that. That balance is good. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. And spe- speaking of tips, like, so would you guys have any, let's say somebody is, let's say, grieving now or people think they're going to grieve in the future? <laughs> no one has a crystal ball, but I mean, do you, do you have like a, a top top three tips? Or, I mean, is there things that you, you've already mentioned some, obviously, the connectivity between you guys, how you met, obviously helps you a lot. Is re- would you recommend anything as a go-to to someone who maybe is, is facing this right now? The best advice that we were given was, especially if you're in the early months after loss, is to go micro. Like if you are grieving, just strip all of your expectations back that you've put on yourself or that other people have put on you as well and just take things minute by minute. It can be really difficult to look into the future when you're grieving without your person. It's really hard to imagine how you'll ever feel okay again. So you can feel really hopeless and kind of just stuck in a really dark hole. That's the best kind of analogy I can give of the feeling of the early, you know, the early months of grief. So yeah, strip everything right back and find yourself a grief buddy would be another one of my top tips. Meeting Sal changed everything for me. It really helped with those feelings of loneliness and isolation and just connecting with someone who understands. And yeah, there's amazing communities online. Come and find our community. You know, there's lots of people you can connect with on there. But yeah, they're my couple of tips. Sal, what's yours? I think just understanding that everyone grieves differently. So if you are grieving, don't judge yourself. If you know somebody in your family or friendship circle who seems to be grieving differently to you, there's no right or wrong way. So remove that that judgment from yourself and remove any pressure to be grieving at a certain pace or a certain time frame. Like just surrender and go with the flow and just know that it will get better and it will get easier over time. And like Im said, like find a grief buddy. There's loads of amazing grief accounts online. There's ours. There's there's loads, especially on Instagram, that can be really helpful for like a sense of feeling community, but also like loads of helpful tips and resources as well. Yeah, so, uh, Neil and I are in the process of putting a little book together for practical pathways for mental health, basically looking at the analogy Neil often gives us if you go, you break your arm. There's a very clear process on how to heal that arm. You go to doctors, you get sticky, blah, 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 you get a cast. But for mental health, that's often the, the first issue is that people are like, I, what do I do now? And there's lots of tools and strategies and you can try all these. Like often we can get bogged down in sort of 1% things. Like I see an, an ice bath or even working out and all that. Sometimes that can be like little things. That's good. But is there a, an actual first step, real pathway that's going to make you, you know yourself, if you get something you want to achieve, 
mm. and it's bogging your mind down. Sometimes just getting started is enough just to clear your mind and get you a wee bit excited. Like, okay, I'm, I'm on the right journey here. From if we were going to talk about grief, and obviously use the two of the experts on that, what path, like say pathway, so we suggested a grief buddy. Would you say that would be like the, the first pathway for people? Just finding a grief buddy or going to a community? Yeah, I think so. Finding support. So is there a support group in your area in person or maybe it's online? So for us, it was Motherless Daughters Australia. They had an online Facebook group. So seeing what support is out there, because I think having connection with other people going through grief is a really good first step. So, yeah, just seeing what's available in your local area. How would you draw the line? Because I was going, I was thinking, what would you recommend not doing? And there's some obvious things like drugs, alcohol, but then there maybe is some, let's just say, naughty things that might be good. That could be like your diet, maybe eating a burger. Like, you know, do you guys have any recommendations on what's above the line, what's below the line? Or is it, you know, is it okay to go a bit rogue? Like, do you need to let off some steam? Like, what's your opinion on that? Oh, I let off so much steam when my mum died. I had like like quite a few benders with my cousins when I like <laughs> first got back to the UK. So, you know, not advocating for that. But I think sometimes you do need to just yeah, yeah. just let loose. But also I think it's being mindful as to when things become a crutch or an unhealthy coping mechanism. But I think like it's doing things that make you feel good as well, right, Im? Especially when you're feeling really crap and, and you know, grief. It's, it's making time for your self-care. And if self-care looks like a burger or two, then I think that's absolutely fine. Yeah. I think a lot of people can use alcohol as a bit of a crutch as well when they're grieving. But what people need to know is alcohol also acts as a suppressant so if you're already feeling really low and then you're drinking to try and feel better it's just going to keep dragging you down and I'm sure you've touched on this on your podcast already but addiction issues like a lot of people who do have addiction issues have unresolved traumas so yeah I would also look to finding a great trauma therapist there's EMDR as well or kinesiology like we talked about so talk therapy is amazing but yeah you need to understand the mind-body connection and find out some things that you can do for the traumas that are stored in your body as well I think that is a really helpful and important thing to do addiction is something we, we we have spoken about it but we haven't delved into it specifically as an episode which we probably should because it can have many different formats and I, I like I have a very addictive personality and it can be positive things you can be addicted mm-hmm. to cycling for example and that's mm-hmm. Like if you get really and you get all the gear and no idea and then you know nine months later someone goes where's the bike ah oh, fucking out in the shed you know and for me food is a big thing like i train a lot play a lot but like i think food like i said it to someone the other day it was like actually really scary i they were like when are you your happiest and i said when i've got like a plate of food and like watching a show like my favorite show and i was like oh, that's very common was it but you know that feeling you get when you've got food you're like yes <laughs> and work as well work is another really common addiction too that people might not see as an addiction like all these things that we throw ourselves into but yeah a lot of it's just we're running from feeling what we're feeling because it's too scary yeah that's very true it's it's it does provide that sense of relief because in that moment when i'm eating all i'm thinking about is the niceness of this food well i actually think a lot of gaming is obviously huge now uh, especially younger generation i think a lot of teenagers 
That's the coping mechanism. Have you heard that? Teenagers. Sal yeah. and I, Sal's husband and my partner are bloody addicted to gaming. They're in there. Like, <laughs> my husband's 46 and he's like, he's gaming now. There's a new game that's been released today called Diablo something or other. And he's literally, he, him and his mate were on at 9am, like waiting for it. Ben, like, ben went to bed at quarter past one this morning because he was up gaming. I'm like, mate, it's a fucking work day today like what are you 12 like yeah, yeah ga- I, I, don't get us started on gaming addictions this is a whole nother episode I, 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 the two things that i don't do is gambling or gaming thank christ i don't do any of them because oh. it's far but have you heard about what's going on in korea at the moment apparently all these kids in korea are so addicted to game and they won't leave their bedroom so all the mums and dads and everywhere have to like slip food in under the door kind of thing because they won't even they they won't even leave to go to the toilet wow that's how addictive it, like it's become you know but uh, ending on a good note we, want to do a, we usually end on a quick fire question section so i'll let, I'll let gary hit well actually before before we do i just wanted to say because you've obviously got your book you've all got your little 35 card deck you've got and also vivid coming up we're going to it we're going to see tickets i love that Yes, we've got our book, which is called Good Morning, Honest Conversations About Grief and Loss, which is published by Murdoch Books. Just a caveat, people might think a book about grief, no thanks. It is, it's been called uplifting. It's really easy to digest. It's conversational, friendly, dare we say it, a little bit fun. So if you are grieving or if you're supporting someone, we also have a chapter on how to support someone grieving. So definitely check it out. And we have grief and loss support affirmation cards on our website that we designed with one of our listeners and obviously our podcast. Good morning. So that's great because that's exactly how we see mental health like you have to just fucking lean in and and have fun with it really it shouldn't be a thing that you put on a shelf and you ignore and it gathers dust you really have to lean into it and if it wasn't for grief you two guys wouldn't even have met each other so you know exactly yeah cool we'll wrap it this out so it's basically as quick as you can just simple one more dancers Anyone needs to just anyone can answer pretty much. Where do you think the world is out of ten in regards to mental health awareness? The whole world. Six. It's getting better. Six. Still right. lots more work to do. You kill this one maybe individually. Where are you currently out of ten in regards to your own mental health right now? Eight point five. Okay. High school. Eight point five. Seven. Seven. Ooh. Okay. And then if you could recommend just one thing that people could do each day to improve their own mental health, what would it be? Befriend yourself. Talk kindly to yourself like you would a friend. Exercise. Move your body. Good. Love it. And then lastly, how do people find you? Instagram, website. We're over on Instagram at Good Morning Podcast, Morning with You. And our website is www.goodmorning.com.au. Yeah, you've got a huge network over there. I had a look. I was like, fuck me there. We've got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of, lot of dead people out there. People are <laughs> looking for support. That's not going to change, right? <laughs> It's not going anywhere. 100% of, 100% of the world is our target audience. So we're doing something right. But, I mean, you guys are there. I mean, we only got our tickets this week. I presume there might be a few still there. Yes. 17th of June, Saturday, 17th of June, 12.30 at the Telstra Business Exchange in Sydney. It's going to be an interactive conversation about grief and we promise it will be fun. And we're really excited that you guys are coming. Thank you for getting yeah. tickets. It's awesome. great. Oh, it looks amazing. Yeah, good on you guys. We we are we're huge admirers of you guys from afar as well. So thanks very much for coming on the show. We really yep. appreciate it and can't wait to share with our community. Thank you for having us. It's been just great to chat with you both. And you guys are awesome. So keep doing what you're doing because it's really important.
We will. Um, well, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your weekend. And yeah. we'll see you in a few weeks. Cheers, Thank guys. you. Thanks, see you guys. guys. Have a like chat when you're there. We'd like to. We will. Oh, no, Sal's already met you, Neil. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Bye.